0: Welcome to the podcast of Medora Pentecostal Church. We are a growing community of believers committed to bringing hope and building lives. We pray today's message is a blessing to you. Hallelujah. God's so good. So good today. If you have your Bibles, we'll go to Luke 14. And as you're turning there, I want to tell you what an amazing honor it is to stand before you today and deliver the word. And what an honor it is to be a part of this church, the best church that's ever been. Luke 14, verses 27 is where we'll begin. And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, sitteth not down first and counteth the cost, whether he have sufficient to finish it? Lest haply, after he hath laid the foundation and is not able to finish it. And all that behold it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Our last verse, verse 33. So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. Today, with the help of the Lord, we're going to talk on the subject, are you sold out or a sellout? Let's pray right now. God, I thank you for the opportunity to come and to worship. God, I thank you for the opportunity to hear your word. I pray, God, that you would speak this word expressly what you need unto your flock today. God, all the glory, all the honor would be unto you. God, we praise you and we thank you. Open our hearts to receive it, our minds, God, that we may soak it up. We praise you in the name of Jesus. And everybody said amen. 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 You can be seated. Are you sold out? Or a sellout. First, let's examine what are the differences between the two. First, we'll look at being a sellout. What is a sellout? A person who is a sellout has abandoned or betrayed their espoused principles or cause, especially in the pursuit of profit or to impress people and become popular. Many times, you hear this phrase associated with a musician who alters his material to encompass a wider audience and in turn generates greater revenue. You also hear it about a musician or a band when they change their entire sound just to sign a record deal. They're just a sellout to fame and riches is the expression we often say to this. In political movements, a sellout is a person or group claiming to adhere to a certain ideology only to follow up these claims with actions that are contradicting them, such as a revolutionary group claiming to fight for a particular cause, but failing to continue this upon obtaining power. So a sellout politician is one who says he's going to do one thing, and once he's elected, does the opposite. Today, it would probably include more than one to exclude in this expression. So that is being a sellout. That's what it means to be a sellout. So what does it mean to be sold out? To be sold out is to sell everything, such as your property, your company, to someone or something. To take all the things that you've accumulated, your resources, your prospects, your plans, and put it in control of something bigger than yourself. That's what it means to be sold out. From our opening text in Luke 14, in verse 33, we read, So likewise, whosoever he be of you, that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. Forsake here in the original text is the word apotomasahi, which is to give, to renounce, to send away, or to withdraw from. So here God is telling us to be his disciple in order to follow Jesus according to the scripture that he has told us. That we have to be ready. To withdraw our plans that you have to be ready to take your aspirations and remove them you got to be ready to be sold out for him to take your prospects to take all the things that you've accumulated and simply say goodbye to them all right. stephen j lawson in his book titled the cost says the following to follow jesus christ is the greatest adventure in all of life It involves the pursuit of life's greatest purpose, the glory that belongs to Christ alone. It meets life's greatest need, the forgiveness of sin that only Jesus can bring. It gives life's greatest pleasure, the joy that comes exclusively from knowing Christ. It involves the greatest partnership in life, the fellowship of walking closely with Jesus. It imparts the greatest teaching in life, the wisdom that Christ alone possesses. It infuses the greatest power in life, the grace of Jesus Christ to live triumphantly. It leads to the greatest destination after life, the immediate presence of Jesus Himself in heaven. No pursuit in life ever begins to compare to the journey on following Jesus. End quote. Isn't that amazing? To know that you have an opportunity to do that. In each and every one of these areas, you have the distinct privilege and you have been chosen to follow and to work in that specific area. Pursuing a relationship with Jesus is the greatest pursuit that we should ever have in our lives. I want to be sold out to him. I want to give everything that I have to the work that God has for me. I don't want to be a sellout to the world. I don't want to sell cheap For what God has paid so dearly for me. The enemy wants you to abandon your moral principles in search of pleasure, fame, riches, and popularity. He wants you to be a sellout. To sell short of what God has for you. He wants you to settle for far, far less than what God has created you to be. Our relationship with God is the one thing that should take priority over everything else. No questions asked. God, if you want it, you got it. If you need it, you got it. If I'm able, then I'm given. Let's ask ourselves today, what does my relationship with God mean to me? What am I willing to give for Him? What am I willing to lay aside for Him? Let's take inventory in some respective areas of our walks with God. Am I sold out or am I a sellout? Am I sold out financially? Matthew 19, 20 through 22, the young man saith unto him, "All these things have I kept from my youth up, what lack I yet? Jesus said unto him, "If thou will be perfect, go and sell all that thou hast, and give it to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. But when the young man heard it, when he heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, because he had great possessions. This young man came to Jesus. Hungry, zealous, and ready to do, he thought, whatever it took to get to Jesus. Whatever it takes to follow you, Jesus, that's what I'll give. But the things that he had, the things that he had accumulated, his possessions that he had, meant more to him than walking with Jesus. Malachi 3 and 10, Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse. That there be meat in mine house and prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing, that there shall be not room enough to receive. I want us to notice the order here in Malachi. Bring your tithes and then prove me. So God calls us to move first. God calls you to pour out first. God wants to bless you, but you have to take the step first. I encourage you today to evaluate your possessions, evaluate your things that you've accumulated. Right. And is there anything that I possess that's more value in my heart than what God is? Is there anything in my heart that has a bigger vacancy than what God possesses? All right. Because then I'm just a sellout to possessions. I'm just a sellout to money. Okay. I'm just a sellout to my career. Yeah. I'm just a sellout to whatever it is that makes me feel secure. The next area, are we sold out in doctrine? 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 4. I'll be reading this in the Amplified Version. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Jesus Christ, who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word as an official messenger. Be ready when the time is right and even when it is not. Keep your sense of urgency, whether opportunity seems favorable or unfavorable, whether convenient or inconvenient, whether welcome or unwelcome and I'm gonna put this in myself whether it feels like somebody wants it or not they have a deep void in their heart for the word for correction for a relationship with Jesus Christ picking back up warn those who sin exhort and encourage those who are growing towards spiritual maturity with inexhaustible patience and faithful teaching For the time will come when people will not tolerate sound doctrine and accurate instruction that challenges them with God's truth. But wanting to have their ears tickled with something pleasing, they will accumulate for themselves many teachers, one after another. Chosen to satisfy their own desires and support the errors that they hold. In verse 4, and will turn their eyes away from the truth. And wander off into myths and man-made fictions. And will accept the unacceptable. Oh. We're in that day, church. Yeah, we are. The following quotes that I'm going to read you are from various quote-unquote Christian authors. Telling you, advising you how to be closer to God. First quote, anyone can create by faith and words the dreams he desires. First. Second quote, if you can develop an image of success, success, health, Abundance, joy, peace, happiness. Nothing on earth will be able to hold it from you. I'm the next quote, get your thinking positive and he will bring your desires to pass. He regards you as a strong, courageous, successful person. You're on your way to a new level of glory. I'm All these quotes are sellouts. Every one of these quotes are those that have sold out. They, sell, they, they are sellouts to fame. To high book sales. They're telling you what you can do to have your desires. To have your success. Your happiness. Your glory. I don't want the plans that I have for me. I don't want to walk and try to dream what I have for me. Because what God has for me is greater than what I can ever comprehend. We're in the time that we just read about in 2 Timothy 4. When people will not tolerate sound doctrine and accurate instruction because it challenges them with God's truth but they want to have their ears tickled with pleasing sounds they are getting many teachers one after another choosing to satisfy their own desires and to support the heirs that they hold one after another they just pick people that will tell them what they want to hear they want yes men they don't want those that will deliver the gospel they want people to nod their head they don't want people that will tell them don't go lay that aside Don't do this. Don't do that. God's not called us to be a sellout in this manner or in any other. God's not called us to sell out to this world, watering down his message to make it fit into whatever norms today has to say. He's called us to bring his hope to the hopeless because a watered-down message has no hope. He's called us to bring his joy to the despaired because there is no joy in a watered-down doctrine. There's only happiness. He's called us to bring his guidance to the one that has gone astray and not let them keep going. He's called us to bring his peace to the overwhelmed because only his peace can come in in certain situations. He's called us to bring his strength to the weary because only his strength can keep us up when everything else falls around us. He's called us to bring the message of true salvation through his blood and discipleship and nothing else will do. God's called us to be sold out to his purpose for our lives and don't sell out for anything short of that. Don't sell yourself short in any area. Don't look at somebody at your job, at your school, and tell them a watered-down message and think it's going to make them feel better. Tell them the truth because that will help them, because that will bring them up, because that will hold them up. That will bring joy when there is no happiness. That will bring strength when you don't have nothing to stand on. Can we just worship him right now? Because that is the true message. That is the true purpose that we have. The world today makes efforts to balance, balance our life between church life and everything else. Such a push to have a balance between the church and the world culture. A push so that we can have both sides. You can live however, do whatever, whenever, however you want. And then also have a relationship with God whenever you so choose to come into his house. Balance as defined, is a condition in which opposing forces are equal to one another. So I ask us the question today, are you sold out or a sellout? Is living for the world, is is it the equal amount of force as living for God? Does it hold the same amount of devotion in your heart as doing whatever you want? Because that's a sellout. Trying to live for God and this world, the enemy wants us to get to a place where we're doing just that. Wants us to get to the place where what we're doing, what we desire, our own dreams and destinies that we think we have, are more important than what God has planned for us. Matthew 6 and 24, no man can serve two masters. For either he'll hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. It's an impossibility to live for God at the same time, live for the world. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. These two cultures are in stark contrast with one another, the church and world society. God has made you for a special purpose. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. The enemy wishes to take that purpose and distort it with sin and worldliness, to water down your walk with God and put thoughts in your head. Thoughts like, do I really have to give that up? Is that really essential for my relationship with God to give that up? Well, that's not really a sin. We ask our pastor, where is it found in the King James that says, Thou shalt not do this that I want to do? Today I fear that people are living with their lives with God in a way that says, What's the closest way that I can walk with sin and still slide under pearly gates? What's the closest thing that I can walk with and still make it to heaven? So so can I do this and still make it into heaven? A situation comes up, an activity comes up, a hobby comes up, and you ask yourself, can I do this and still make it to heaven? Instead, why don't we ask ourselves, will this get in the way of my relationship with God in any manner? What else is there that I can give to get closer to God? And do I have to do this? I want us to evaluate ourselves when the situation comes up, when something new comes up, a new part of your life, a circumstance, when it comes up, don't ask, can I do this and still live for God? Ask, do I have to do this while I'm living for God? We live in a way that tells God that he has to fit into our life and we don't take into account where we fit into his plan. If you give the enemy an inch in the corner of your mind, in the corner of your spirit, in the darkest, deepest place in your heart, it'll try to grow and invade your walk with God every time. Let's look at an example of this in Scripture. Exodus 34, we're going to begin reading with verse 11. Observe thou that which I command thee this day. Behold, I drive out before thee the Amorite, the Canaanite, the Hivite the Hittite, the Perizzite, and the Hivite, and the Jebusite. Take heed to thyself, lest thou make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land whither thou goest, lest it be for a snare in the midst of thee. But ye shall destroy their altars, break their images, and cut down their groves. For thou shalt worship no other god, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. Just as a side note, Right here where it talks about God being a jealous God. When you look at jealous, it talks about protection. It doesn't talk about he's trying to keep you from something. He's trying to keep something from you. So God is speaking directly to Moses here in this text that we read on Mount Sinai. A message to the children of Israel. God goes through and gives them a list of all the victories that they're about to have. He gives them a list and says, I'm going to bring you to this land. I'm going to drive them out. I'm going to bring you to the Hittites. I'm going to drive them out. I'm gonna bring you to the Jebusites, I'm gonna drive them out, to the Perizzites, and all so on and so forth. He tells them all these victories, but he also gives them a warning, telling them that they must take heed. Heed right here comes to protect and to guard themselves. God's telling them life's gonna be great. You're gonna have victory around every corner. Oh, you're gonna be so tired of winning. But God says, You gotta be careful, you gotta protect. You've got a guard. God's telling the children of Israel, there will be people that try to coax you into pulling your spiritual life down. They'll try to tell you you can still live for God, and theirs too. Be watchful. Be careful. Don't make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land where you go. It will be a trap. Verse 13, But ye shall destroy their altars, break their images, cut down their groves. The word for groves here, interestingly, I did studying on it. The word for groves here is the word Asherah, which is the name of the goddess of fertility that was worshipped in a lot of these different areas that they were going. Idol worship is what it signified. They were either signified by a limbless tree or carvings, pardon me, a limbless tree with carvings of renditions of Asherah or also poles that had the same. They were commonly known as Asherah poles. So why would God use such an aggressive approach to cut down, to sever, to destroy, to break, to get rid of, to utterly get it out of your life? Why would he use such aggressive verbiage when he's talking about this? Because God didn't want his relationship with the children of Israel to be polluted everywhere they went. He didn't want his relationship with them to be polluted by the remnants of the counterculture where they went. As God takes them into new territories, that were once occupied and controlled by the enemies. They don't, let the in, they don't let the inhabitants or the culture get mixed in what God has made for you. Don't get so comfortable in your victories that you forget to keep your guard up. Don't have a victory and forget to continue to watch all around you. Because if you don't destroy the enemy, if you don't cut him down, if you don't break him down, he will get back up. That's interestingly a great point from when David didn't just hit Goliath in the head and leave him there. He wasn't satisfied with just knocking these things down. He was satisfied when it was completely destroyed, when it was unable to get back up, when there was no chance it was ever coming back. So somewhere, somewhere in between, the victories that God was providing for Israel and getting rid of the groves, getting rid of idolatry, somewhere... Someone didn't fully obey God's commandment. Somewhere there was a grove mentality that survived. Because in Judges 6 and 25, God's speaking to Gideon and says, And it came to pass the same night that the Lord said unto him, Take thy father's young bullock, even the second bullock of seven years old, and throw down the altar of Baal that thy father hath, and cut down the grove that is by it. So in Exodus, we hear God telling them, warning them, guard yourself, break these things, get rid of them, sever them, destroy them. And in Judges, there's still a struggle. And then we see again in 1 Kings chapter 18, we pick up where Elijah is on Mount Carmel saying, now therefore send and gather to me all the Israel unto Carmel, all the prophets of Baal, 450, and the prophets of the groves, 400. 400 which eat at jezebel's table an interesting observation here is that god commanded the children of israel mount sinai as you go forward from this point all the lands i bring you into get rid of every piece of culture that's counter to me get rid of every single thing that tries to raise itself against me then we see in first kings that there's 400 prophets of the groves eating at jezebel's table who interestedly is married to the king of israel So God tells Israel, get rid of everything. And then in 1 Kings, we see 400 prophets that are being financially supported by Israel. Asherah had not been destroyed. It was now being funded. Today, the spirit of Asherah is still at work. It takes on different looks. It takes on different... Sayings, But today it tells us that you can date and marry anybody you want outside of faith just so long as you win them after, you know, you're you're dating or married or however that works. Because you're going to win them. I mean, if you date them or marry them, it's going to happen. They're going to come to church. You're not going outside. Living together before marriage is just more efficient than the old-fashioned way. You get in, you make sure you get along and everything. You get all the kinks worked out before you get to marriage, right? It's just a lot more efficient than this old way that God gave us. Pornography is just innocent fun. It's just boys will be boys. Purity is outdated, and you'll just, you just got to get out there and figure out what you like and figure out what's going on. You're just missing out. God's trying to keep you from all the fun. God's got you inside these borders, inside these walls, inside this area that he tells you you can't go outside of. You are missing it. You have no idea how much fun it is out here. As we said earlier, if you give the enemy an inch, he'll try to grow. If you move in one step in any of these respective areas that we just talked about, he will grow. They won't come to church. You will go out of church. So what do I do? What do I do when these groves come up in my life, when this grove mentality comes up in my heart, when I have these thoughts, when I have these aspirations to do this, that, or the other? You do exactly what Elijah did to the prophets of the groves. Just after God rained fire down from heaven, we see in verse 40, And Elijah said unto them, Take the prophets of Baal. Let not one of them escape. And they took them. And Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and slew them there. He destroyed them. He cut them down. He broke them. He utterly destroyed it. He took every fragment and destroyed it. He didn't try to turn them around and say, well, you were good prophets for the groves, but let me teach you the truth. He said, everything that you've been is polluted, is countercultural to what the God, the true God of Israel says. You must destroy these lies before they take root. Can we all stand together? Dietrich Bonhoeffer, In his book, The Cost of Discipleship, says the following, Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance, baptism without church discipline, communion without confession, absolution without personal confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship, grace without the cross, grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnate. Costly grace, however, is the treasure hidden in the field. For the sake of it, a man will gladly go and sell all that he has. It is the pearl of great price to buy for which the merchant will sell all of his goods. Such grace is costly because it calls us to follow. And it is grace because it calls us to follow Jesus Christ. It is costly because it costs a man his life. And it is grace because it gives a man the only life. Oh, hallelujah, end quote. Cheap grace is a sellout cheap grace tells you you can have whatever you want and still have quote unquote forgiveness or a life with god but costly grace you got to be sold out you got to give everything you got john 12 and 25 for he that loveth his life shall lose it and he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto eternal life if you can make your way towards the front living for god will cost you something it will cause you to lay aside some things to lay aside some things that you may enjoy but you'll gain everything in return I can promise you what you lay down will lay in no comparison to what you pick back up you'll gain a true life of blessing favor communion with the one true God I encourage you today to be sold out and don't sell out to the enemy don't sell out for anything short of what God has promised of what God is working you sell out when you sell out you gain something immediately but it's just temporal it's just temporary and you lose the eternal but when you're sold out you gain the eternal and lose these temporary pleasures I'd rather have that way anytime I wonder right now if we can just lift our hands and survey and tell God I want to be sold out God I want to be sold out to your purpose I don't want to sell out short I don't want to sell out and give up on all these things that you have planned. I don't want to give up on everything you're working in my life just because I think I found something better. Just because I think I found something different. Yeah. Hallelujah. God's working in some lives right now. God's working in some lives right now. It's okay to lay some things aside. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You right now. Thank you for joining us today. We pray you have been encouraged. If you would like more information about Medora Pentecostal Church, you can check out our website at www.medorachurch.com.